moment. I am not. I did not plan this uh, a week ahead of time. This was a me praying this morning uh, thing, and so we'll see how it goes. Uh, I have a coffee cup. Uh, it is a Batman coffee cup, so you know it's mine. Um, I want you to uh, grab a note card and a pen. If you need one, if you don't need a pen, do not grab one. Do not keep my pens, Rebecca. Uh, I have just opened a package of pens, uh, the, the, the metal ones. These are mine. I lose them all the time. Do not help me in this process. Give me my pens back. Um, the cup will be on the table in the back next to the offertory uh, as a reminder that the church purchased these pens, and if you steal them, you are stealing from the church. Do not steal my pens. Um, what? <laughs> we are not sharing my pens, but I, I want you to grab a note card. And what I want you to do, I will... Um, thank you. I would like for you to spend some time thinking... Uh, just a few minutes, and, and before we kind of start the message this morning, uh, hopefully you're right in the front end of it when I'm just sort of um, John and haven't gotten to the point yet. I would like for you to, uh, like for you to write down why, why are you here? Like why, why do you show up here? Why are you here on Sunday mornings? Why do you come into worship? Why are you here? Like what, what is your purpose? One sentence. What are you doing here today? That is all I want you to write down. Like, like if there's some big important thing or, you know, this is what my parents made me do or whatever. Like, why are you here? Um, and hold on to it. I'm not collecting them. I am not. What? It's because people are already stealing them. That's why we don't have enough pens. Because <laughs> they're so expensive. I could not purchase more. Um, <laughs> don't steal my pens. Uh, I have, so we're going to jump into my, my illustration here, my opening. I have a, uh, I have a brass monkey. Um, this is not a statement regarding the cold. Uh, it is, uh, it is a statue that I have had in my possession for over 20 years. Um, it is, uh, it is a monkey. He's sitting on books and he is reading. At the first church I worked at, and I've actually used this as a sermon illustration before, so some of y'all might remember it, um, but at the church I worked for, the very first one, I was a youth pastor, and we had, uh, we had an office staff, and every Monday morning we would have a staff meeting that went forever. And everybody who knows me well knows I love meetings, uh, I, and, and they were painful, uh, the highlight of that meeting, and actually sometimes when it went long, I'd have my laptop. Sometimes if it went long, I would play video games during the meeting and like with the sound off because it was so bad. Um, so my, uh, my brass monkey, we had this whole thing where the pastor and, and the staff, we all talked about it. And we're like, we need a way to um, encourage everybody and, and like be sort of a, a, a group that cheered each other on, and, and we need to figure out how to play cheerleader. And, and so um, the Brass Monkey was uh, the idea that we came up with. We said, well, we need an Employee of the Week award. Because we, we talked about all kinds of stuff, and we, wouldn't, we just couldn't come up with a good way to, like, encourage each other. Um, and so we got the uh, Employee of the Week award. And I was tasked with going out and finding something, and I, I got this monstrosity 
It is not an attractive statue. Okay? It is not. Um, and yet I've held on to it for 20 years. And it's got in Sharpie, employee of the week, written across the bottom. Um, and, and I brought it to the first meeting to say, hey, what if we use this? And the unanimous agreement in the group was that this thing is awful. It was the worst possible choice for an Employee of the Week award. And so what we did was, um, if you won the Employee of the Week award, you had to keep it on your desk in plain view for everyone to see. And then at the beginning of the meeting, the very first thing we would do is we would spend like 15, 20 minutes coming up with reasons as to why somebody else should get the Employee of the Week award. And it was incredibly effective because everybody paid attention to what everybody else was doing. And we looked for reasons to praise each other. And so we would start the meeting and everybody would have their little list. And it would be like, so-and-so did this. And it was amazing. And, like, this person in children's ministry this week, so, like, that's why the children's ministry director should get it. And, and we would go around and it became, like, it became pretty sharp. Like, we were very competitive praising each other so we could stick each other with this awful statue. Um, it says a lot about the staff at the time, um, but the pastor at that church left, and then, like, one of the office workers was laid off, and then I think the, uh, the bookkeeper left, or was laid off about the same time, and then eventually the guy who was there doing worship stuff left, and, and I was the last employee, and so I won, and it has been with me for years and years and years, but it is my... It is my brass monkey statue, and it's been on my desk. It's been in different places. The, the reason I'm pointing to this, the reason I'm talking about it is um, the statue itself is not the point, right? Nobody wants the Employee of the Week statue. You wanted to praise the people around you. That was the purpose, okay? Um, we're going to be finishing up Stephen's talk, and we're going to be transitioning into this part where he begins to talk to the temple authorities in a very sharp and very direct and very, like, aggressive way, and he acknowledges the fact that they had moved from worshiping God and pointing out the wonderful things about God, and instead they were paying attention to the temple. And the temple had become an idol. Okay? Um, and, and so instead of, like, praise God, you know, it was praise the temple. Um, and, and suddenly the award itself, the item, became the purpose. And... and to trade the worship of the living God and the acknowledgement of God's awesomeness and being in God's presence for a man-made building is insane. Everybody with me? So we're going to dive into this. This is, uh, is like a straight-up, I guess the word is polemic text. Uh, it, is, it is an attack. And um, so here we are. This is uh, Acts uh, chapter 7, and if you remember last week, there was a recurring theme, right? It was uh, Stephen is, is starting his defense, and he jumps right into, he was a preacher through and through, because he spent like the first hour talking about uh, how God's messengers and deliverers were rejected, like um, once and then accepted the second time, Right? Just like Christ was rejected the first time and crucified, and now we are here preaching Christ, and you can accept him now, or will you reject him? 
And that's kind of the point of that. And then how God would be manifest and glorified in places that weren't Israel. Because they were so set up on this idea that God could only be glorified in the temple, right? Because the temple had become the point that the temple became the thing that they worshipped. And actually, you could be accused of blasphemy for saying something against the temple. And they could execute you like, oh, well, you're talking against God. No, I was talking about the temple, right? Um, And so the temple became everything. And so he's going to transition from these two recurring themes to a new set. And we're going to, I'm going to do my best to dig them out. Um, There is a lot of Old Testament here again, but less than last time. So this is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. Now, um, he was talking about Moses before, right? And so he points out this quote from Moses, and this is sort of a prophetic quote. Um, God will raise up for you a prophet like me, and he is acknowledging that Jesus himself is the second Moses, but the greater Moses, right? The deliverer of his people, like like the savior of his people. Um, And and so he says, listen, um, God is going to raise up this prophet from your own people. Like, so he tells the Jews that. He tells the, he, the Hebrews this. Um, he was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. And he was receiving living, or, and he received living words to pass on to us. So he says, listen, he said this at the same time that they were all in the wilderness and they were all there. And the angel was giving him living words to pass on to us. Um, this is this living words thing is like kind of him flashing to Jesus at the same time. He's saying, listen, Moses was getting living words, right? And then this Jesus comes along and he gives the words of life, right? Like he brings something better. And if you hear it and you ingest it and you make it a part of who you are, like you, you are born again, you are made new, like you acknowledge that Christ is Lord and you pursue him, like there's life in that. And like, so he's, he's, you know, Stephen is here. He's pointing out that Jesus is like the better Moses, the greater Moses. And they don't like that. Like, like at this point, he's also transitioned, like he's transitioning the words he's going to use. Um, and you'll see it here in a second. Um, he goes from our and we and everything else. And in a little bit here, he's going to go to you and, and he's just gearing up to really lay into him. So just heads up, like this is about to get sharper and sharper. Um, but so Moses with the angel receiving living words, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. Um, as for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Uh, that was the time they made an idol in the form of a gold calf, or in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. So, he's, he's, you know, he's about to come at this temple thing, right? And he's saying, listen, they rejected Moses, and they just wanted to go back to Egypt. They just wanted to go back to slavery. They wanted to go back to what they knew, which is essentially what is happening here. Like, um, when they rejected Christ, they rejected Christ in favor of slavery, right? Slavery to the law of sin and death is ultimately what we find out from Paul, right? 
The, the law's only purpose, the reason the Ten Commandments exist, is to make us totally aware of the fact that we're awful. Right? I mean, and this is a thing that preachers will sometimes fall into. Preacher, preachers will, like, we love doing this. We love picking up the law and saying, do these things or else. Right? You ever heard a sermon like that? You know, and they talk about the sinners out there and how we're holier than them and all this other. I mean, like, this is the thing. And at the end of the day, the purpose of the law is, and I'm sure some of you guys have done this, where you have an area that you struggle. Like, um, Christ sort of makes it more out there. He says, like, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I'm telling you, if you hate someone in their heart, like in your heart, I'm totally not quoting him right. He actually... uh, he, he says if you use hard words against them, it, it is roughly the equivalent here, right? Like, like despising people. Or you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Like he said, listen, it's not enough to just not do it, right? Like because I could say, oh, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's not cheating if I'm only looking. And my wife would say, she'd say, pull. <laughs> I... <laughs> Um, <laughs> the, the, the point being like, like, it's not like they, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery. These guys rejected Christ because in their hearts, they idolized the law and they built themselves up out of the law and they worshiped things that were not Christ. There were all sorts of things that were more attractive than Jesus. And we have that today, right? We have today, there are huge swaths of the church that will tell you the church exists to feed the hungry. That is the whole purpose of the church. Or the church exists to create social equality or to fight racism. Are those things important? Yes, they are. Is it the purpose of the church? No, they're not. Feeding the poor is the purpose of the church. No, it's not. Those things are important. Those are things that we do we, we protect the weak, we preach the gospel, we take care of folks, but, right, but if the gospel, if the church exists purely for the purpose of us doing stuff to earn God's love, then we're idolizing the law, right? We've got our golden statue, our brass monkey. It falls apart there, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) so he's saying to him, he's like, listen, um, they just wanted to go back to slavery. They rejected him and they made stuff to worship. Um, they made things that were their own and they worshiped them. And it does happen. Like it happens all the time. But at the time it was the temple. They were worshiping the temple. Isn't that crazy? Who would worship the temple? Right? You know, it's interesting. Uh, many years ago when I was a youth pastor, I had a ministry where we worked with, uh, there was a huge community of skateboarders around us, right? And uh, we had, uh, we built all the skateboarding equipment and put it in the parking lot and they like just started showing up. And so we did Bible study with them. It was awesome. And they were hard on the facility. I'm here to tell you up one side and down the other, you have no idea how much damage a skateboard can do. And in particular, these kids who I had to like set really strict rules with because they'd like run off to smoke pot together like in the middle of you know in the middle of this like ministry activity and then they'd come back you know and it's like all right well guys you're here you're not and please don't come here high and I mean there was a lot of stuff we had to do but like this was a part of what we did like and and one day I had um 
I had a guy come up to me and say, and he said he was the head of the, the, the maintenance ministry. And he came up to me and he said, all right, well, I, I'm going to be talking to the board. The skateboarding ministry is over. We cannot do this anymore. We, we just can't. It's too hard on. It's too hard on the parking lot. It's too hard on the curbs because skateboarders wreck curbs, right? It's too hard on the building. They're just too damaging. What's the idol? The building, right? So that week I actually had, well in advance, put together a video. This was back when computers were hamsters on wheels. And I edited out this video of, like, the kids skateboarding and talking about how the ministry affected their lives. And video of them doing Bible study with me and praying. And I ran that during offering. And he came up to me. He's like, man, I'm wrong. Forget it. Forget I said anything. Because it's easy to lose sight, right? It is. Our purpose as the church is not to have a nice building. It's not to have clean carpets. It's not to have walls without little holes in them sometimes. Is it going to happen? Yes. Should we try to make it not happen? Yes. Should we strongly encourage people to respect the facility? Yes. But we're not here for the building. We're not. So they reveled in what their hands had made. But God, oh man, there's never a worse phrase in the scripture But God, because that means you're on the wrong side of the equation. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. And there is no Oxford comma there. So I just realized this can't be authoritative translation. Sorry, it was a joke. It was awful. Uh, (laughs) What just happened? I think, oh, here, I don't know what just happened. That's weird. Somebody's messing with my slides. Stop it, Jeremy. Um, It's always the youth pastor. Uh, So they began to worship the sun and moons and the stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of... Jeremy. (laughs) You have taken up the tabernacle of Moloch. And the star of your God, Repham, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So um, he says, listen, uh, God turned them over to their own sin. And they began to worship more and more pagan stuff. The history has just gone off the rails because this didn't happen at the foot of Sinai. It happened like throughout Israel's history, right? where God would hand them over to their own wickedness. What this means, by the way, if you want to sit down and read Romans 1, is like one of the most convicting and hard passages in the scripture, um, where it talks about this idea that God will hand people over to their sin. That means I worship my golden calf, right? And eventually God will hand me over to that golden calf. For me, there was a little while where I, I would, uh, I would just, I, I'd get stressed out, and instead of going to God... Or I'd get depressed or whatever. Instead of going to God, I'd, I'd have two or three drinks at the end of the day. And, like, I didn't pray then. 
I would go to that, right? And you all have these, right? Like, I'm not the only one. If there's something you run to when you're having a bad day before you run to prayer, it might be a problem. It might be a thing, right? Um, but God will hand us over to it. And he handed me over to drinking. And it got worse and worse and worse. For some folks, it's, you know, they'll, they'll uh, you know, it's pornography. And it gets worse and worse and worse. For some folks, it's bitterness. Y'all ever meet somebody who, like, was kind of negative early in life? And by the time they're old, they are, like, poison to be around, right? Or, like, they're in their relationships. They look at the other person and they're, like, you know, the neighbor or the kids or whatever. You know, and they got nothing nice to say and... After a little while, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Like, God will hand us over to that. He will hand us over toward our sin. Um, And he says to him, he's like, did you bring me offering? No, you didn't bring me any offering while you were in the wilderness. You didn't do it. You brought offering to idols. You thought you were worshiping me. You never were. You were worshiping idols because you didn't care about me. That's hard, isn't it? Um. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that sometimes we, uh, we pray to a God who isn't God, but just to ourselves. Because our ideas about God are so screwy, and we don't take God seriously, and so we just pray to ourselves. Um, that is a horrible paraphrase, but I'm not doing the whole thing today. Um, our ancestors, so it's still our, had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made by God or had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he has seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David. They enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place, or he enjoyed David, who enjoyed God's favor, I can read and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for God, for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. So now watch this. Um, They had the tabernacle. The tabernacle was basically a fancy tent that God hung out in, right? And like to say it was God's house is a little nuts, right? Because um, like when you're wandering around in the desert, uh, God would show up as a pillar of fire at night. Like that whole pillar of fire not hanging out in the tent. I am here to tell you, lighting fires in tents, not a good idea, right? During the day, it was a pillar of smoke. Smoke in tents, also a bad idea. Um, like, but God wasn't isolated at the tent. Did the glory of God enter the tent? Yes. Did Moses talk to God in that place? Did they offer sacrifices in that place? Did they do all kinds of other stuff? Yes. The tabernacle was a big deal. However, does God live in a tent? No. That's insane. I've gone way too long already. I don't know what I did. Um, She said, listen, all that time they worshipped in a tent, and our predecessors had this tent thing, and the the tabernacle was the place of worship like under Moses. This was it, and it went into the promised land, and it was a part of all that. And then David came and said, hey, I'm going to build you. I'm going to build you a uh, a temple. We're going to have a temple. It'll be awesome. And God says, first off, you've killed too many people, David, you don't get to build a house for me. (laughs) Your hands are way too covered in blood, like we're going to kick that down the road a little bit. Um, But from the prophets, we get this. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, 
and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things? So the idea of making a house for God is crazy. I always find it very funny, and it drives me nuts at the same time, but I always kind of laugh when I am out somewhere, and like I was golfing one day with a, with a kid from our church years ago. There's no, not here, but like years ago. And we're out golfing, and we met this guy, and he is, he, he asked if he could play with us because he play, wanted to play through, and then he just joined us, and we played golf together for a while. And he was kind of lit, a little on the drunk side, but he swore a lot in front of my teenager I had with me. Um, but he swore a lot, and eventually I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. And he stopped swearing. And a little while later, I think he had a bad shot, and he commented, oh, I shouldn't swear in front of you. I'm like, what? Like, God hears you now because I'm here? Because I got news for you. <laughs> or folks will walk into the church and say, oh, well, you know, oh, I shouldn't talk this way. I'm in church. Well, you think he didn't hear you somewhere else? Like, let me go over to the bushes, and we'll have this conversation where God can't hear us. He hears you better than Google does. Because the reality is, the reality is that the temple was not built for God. It was not. It was built so that the people had a place to go and worship God. Right? This building, not God's house. Right? It's not. Where we gather to worship God. Right? This building serves the purpose of the church. The church does not serve the purpose of this building. The church does also, like, like, but it's easy to turn it into that, right? Feeding the hungry? Good thing. It is like an attribute of being a Christian. Like, if you have real, pure religion that, like, the, that the Father desires us to have, you take care of... Widows and orphans. But real religion, pure religion, like James says, right, is not feeding widows and orphans. It is a side effect of it, right? It is, it is something that emanates from. It is a natural behavior of. It's, it's, uh, it's what we do. We can't help it because it's what we are. Um, when it becomes more than that, when it becomes the purpose, it's an idol. When we gather because God tells us we have to gather once a week, it becomes an idol, right? When, um, when we are more emotional about what's happening in Washington every week according to the news than we are about the fact that our neighbors are dying apart from Christ, When we're more angry at our spouse for the things they do than repentant of the things that we fall short on, I say, pointing at myself today, then we've discovered an idol. Because I'm supposed to be like Christ. That means I serve, not I am served. And so God says, listen, you can't build a house for me. I don't live in a house. I'm God. So our and we and everything else, and now he transitions and he says, you 
So this is the end, by the way, the end of the speech. We're not going to go past it. We'll do Stephen's execution next week um, because I'm just going way too long. Um, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. So what this means is circumcision was a sign that you were Jewish, right? Again, I have no idea how they checked. But I want to know, I, I assume they wore some sort of marking that made it clear. I don't know. Your hearts and ears are uncircumcised. Um, what he's saying is he's saying, listen, outwardly you're Jewish, but inside you don't belong to God. You don't even know him. You worship Moloch. You worship things you made with your hands. You worship what you want, not who God is. And that's a reality. And you see it in churches all the time. God wants us to insert my own personal agenda, right? It's easy to do. And it's easy to lose track of. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? Ooh. And he's not telling, he's not wrong, right? Like every one of the prophets, like Isaiah, you read Isaiah. Isaiah is a pretty great book, right? Yeah, the temple authorities had him sawed in half. Yikes. Read Jeremiah. They threw him in wells and stuff like that. And I mean, awful stuff happened to the guy. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Remember, one of the phrases they keep saying whenever they drag someone in front of the Sanhedrin is, are you going to try and make us guilty of this man's blood? (laughs) And so he turns around and he says, of course I am. (laughs) But I'm going to give you a message that will let you wash your hands. And I'm saying this today, guys. I'm guessing, I don't know, as I've preached this, I've discovered a few brass monkeys in my life. If you're seeing them, if you're hearing them, if you're recognizing like, oh, wow, this is important to me, and it's not Jesus. This is important to me, and it's an idol. My work, my pride, being right, um, my comfort, my politics, my whatever. I mean, if you have an idol, and you're mad at me for pointing it out, by the way, pay attention. I don't think anybody's mad at me yet. You would have left or shot me. I guess it's Montana. Um, Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. Now, remember, what Stephen has been accused of is, one, um, attacking the law, and two, attacking God by dishonoring the temple. So his whole defense comes down to, you guys worship the temple like it's God, and you're wrong, and you have the law, but you don't follow it because you're all pagans. Like, that is a court case, right? Guess what's going to happen next? They're going to stop listening, they're going to drag him out, and they're going to murder him, which we'll talk about next week. 
this week, I want you to pull out your note card and I want you to look at it. I want you to think about it. I want you to ask yourself, is this it? Like, is this my brass monkey? Do I look like Jesus to the people I encounter, or do I look like a guy dragging around a big golden statue? Do I look like the monkey on the books? Which I probably do, actually. Um, my challenge for you this week, my encouragement, is to look inside and ask yourself, like, do I live as though Jesus is my Lord? Do I live as though he bought me from death with his blood? Do I live as though do I live as though this is everything? Or is it a hobby? Is it a habit? Is it an idol that I chase after, that I pretend is Jesus, right? I have heard so many people over the years say, my God is the God of the Bible, but my God is okay when I sin. And we say, your God is you. My God is mad at the way I do things, but I don't care. If that's true, then you don't know God. <laughs> because God as he is, is terrifying. He is loving and wonderful and so good he is scary. Right? Like C.S. Lewis wrote, you know, wait a minute, he's a lion? Is he safe? Nope, but he's good. So my question for you is like, do you have a brass monkey? Are you worshiping the temple? Are you worshiping yourself? Are you worshiping your comfort? Are you worshiping entertainment? Are you worshiping sex? Are you worshiping the image that people have of you? Are you worshiping something that isn't Christ? Are we here to fulfill the great commitment or to have great potlucks? Which is what the brisket cook-off is, by the way. The best potluck ever. But it's not the gospel. I want to challenge you and encourage you. If you felt convicted here, dig in. Figure out how to change the words you wrote on that card. Right? And if the words you wrote on your card don't reflect your heart, figure out how to rewrite those words. Because you will wander for the rest of your life looking, you know, looking at that idol. And, and there's no salvation and there's no hope. Let's pray. And Lord God, I pray that, number one, this made sense. Uh, that people heard it and they heard from you, Lord. I know, um, I know, I'm, I'm worse than uh, Balaam's donkey, uh, Lord. But you. Pray that. You